Matthew chapter 1, verse 16 is where we'll start. have a little arc this morning. I'm not Bob Ross, so it's not going to be anything special, but as I was reading through this week and thinking about different verses, I kind of got to thinking, and in my mind, this is kind of the way things were going, so I said, well, let me just draw a picture. Maybe this will be a, a, good, a, good, a good thing for all of us as we, as we think about the birth of Jesus and really what it all means. So, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 16... We'll be covering a few scriptures today. I may go through them a little too quick for you if I do. By all means, ask me after church if you don't get them down, and I'll be happy to tell you uh, what, what they were. We'll be kind of flipping back and forth uh, through the Old Testament and the New Testament this morning. Verse 16, kind of picking up in the middle of a genealogy here as we're, we're seeing kind of the, uh, the, the family line of Jesus and, and where his mother and father came from and, and uh, we kind of get a little genealogy here at the beginning of Matthew and we're going to pick up kind of toward the end of this genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 verse 16. It says, And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for these words. And God, I pray that as we're in your house this morning, that you bless us through your words. I pray that if we brought anything into this place, dear Lord, any worries of the world, anything that's on our heart that shouldn't be there, God, you know it. And I pray that you just would forgive us of those things, God. I pray that we would give them to you. I pray that we would open our hearts, dear Lord, to you this morning, that you would change our hearts, that you would focus us on Jesus Christ this morning. And God, I pray that you hide me behind the cross, that I would preach and teach in a way that's going to bring glory to you. And I pray, God, that everything that's said and done here today draws people to you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, as I was reading this week, and, and I didn't make it far, I said, well, let me, let me brush up on the Christmas story again, or, or should I say the birth of Jesus Maybe a better way to put it. I didn't get very far, as you see. All I got was to verse 16. And then I sit there and I was pondering for a while and I was thinking, boy, this was, a, this was a pretty big time when this event occurred. When Joseph and Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now, Jesus was and is indeed the Messiah. And this was a big deal. It is a big deal for us and it was a big deal uh, for those during this day that got to witness this firsthand, that got to see the Messiah being born as the news began to spread, as the events of the birth of Jesus began to take place and uh, those who came to see him were there. This was a big event. It was a big event because it was something that the people were looking forward to. And so our story this morning starts with Jesus, the Messiah, the birth of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to start there this morning with the birth of Jesus Christ. And we're going to try to copy what we got on the screen up there. And we're going to try to put Jesus right here in the center of our little project that we have going on here. Now 
Now, in the Old Testament, things had gotten pretty bad. Time and time again, Israel continued to sin, but they were looking forward to the Messiah who was prophesied. And so many of the people of Jesus' day, they were looking for the Savior who was going to come, who was going to deliver them, and who was going to uh, spare them and, and take care of them and give them freedom from all of their enemies and all the things that were going on. Let's put little baby Jesus over here. Give him a little hair. I don't know if he had hair or not, but he will in our little manger scene. So here we have Jesus Christ who has come, who has been born, who has entered onto the, the scene, and the Messiah is here. Now, this was a big deal, as I just said, for the, the, the people of Israel because they had been looking for that Messiah to come. Because all throughout the Old Testament, there is prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, things that point to Jesus Christ, things that point to the coming Messiah. Now, this was a big deal because Israel had been living in sin. They had been waiting for this king who was going to come and deliver them for years and years and years, and they were looking forward to this day. No doubt some had probably kind of given up on the prophecies, but lo and behold, even though God may have been slow to fulfill, at least what we would call slow, in his time he brought Jesus Christ onto the scene at just the right time. The Messiah had finally come. The Messiah was here, and we see that spelled out to us through this genealogy and the verses that follow as we see Jesus come onto the scene. And so the people of Jesus' day, many of them were looking for Jesus to come because there were uh, plenty of prophecies that talked about that. Now, if you want to turn to Isaiah, you can. If you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 7... We're going to look at a couple that are really popular, really well known, especially around this time of year when it comes to uh, talking about the birth of Jesus Christ. I would say that these verses are probably read pretty often. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Now, in the context of what's going on here in Isaiah, this prophecy was fulfilled in, in the Old Testament time in a different way. But we know that this prophecy is also pointing toward Jesus Christ because Matthew tells us that in the account of Jesus being born. So while this prophecy was fulfilled in some sense, as you read Isaiah chapter 7 and 8, back in the time that it was originally announced, it was also fulfilled ultimately in Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Now, the name Emmanuel means God with us. Now, we will see as we read through uh, Isaiah in particular, in just a second as we go to chapter 9, that there are these different words that say uh, what the Messiah is going to be called. He's going to be called Emmanuel. Well, Jesus wasn't called Emmanuel. He was called Jesus. But Emmanuel means God with us. And so when we see these phrases that say, uh, of the Messiah. He's going to be the, the, the wonderful counselor, uh, mighty God. He's going to be uh, all of these things, the Prince of Peace. Obviously, these things weren't Jesus' name, 
But these were words that described who Jesus were. These were descriptive titles. And so Jesus was indeed Emmanuel because he fulfilled exactly what that means. God with us. Now that's really what the people needed. That's what the people were looking forward to. A day that God was going to come and he was going to be with them and he was going to make all things well. Now God, of course, is in heaven. He's way up here. We see that in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. But the birth of Jesus was significant because now, as we see here in Isaiah chapter 7, 14, not only was God going to be in heaven above us, but God was going to come down to us. God was going to be with us. God was going to take the form of a man, which he did in Jesus Christ. So here we have in Isaiah, in these couple of verses that we're going to look at, we have God who is coming down uh, to us. And he's going to be with us, and he is with us through Jesus Christ. Now, we've already read Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. If you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, just a couple of pages over, we see another prophecy that's pointing us forward to Jesus Christ and what he will accomplish and why that will be significant for us. It says in verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 9, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now that's good stuff right there because that's who Jesus is. Now, some people would say, well, Jesus is not those things because all of those things hasn't been accomplished yet. Jesus hasn't come and brought justice. Jesus isn't, isn't ruling in the way that we think a king should rule, but he will one day. Jesus is doing all of those things and will ultimately do all of these things that we see here in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Let's read a little further. Verse 7, the dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness. From now on and forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So we know where the Messiah is coming from. The Messiah is coming from David. He's coming from the line of David. And in these two verses that we looked at in Isaiah chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 9, we see why the coming of the Messiah is important. Because it is God who is coming down to us. It is God who is going to be with us. And all of these words that we see, these descriptive terms in Isaiah chapter 9, tell us how wonderful it is going to be when the Messiah comes. So we see the importance of the Messiah because he's coming down to us. Now, let's look at some more verses in the Old Testament that point us to the Messiah who is to come. In Micah, if you want to turn to Micah. going to be kind of toward the end of the Old Testament. Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah, 
One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from eternity. So here we have another little glimpse, a little prophecy about who this Messiah is that's coming. We even have specific details as to exactly where the Messiah is going to be. So this prophecy is pointing us forward to where Jesus is going to be born, to the significance of the Messiah, and we even see a little description about the Messiah. He is eternal. That's what we see here in, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that he is eternal, that he will be born in Bethlehem, that he will rule over Israel. Now Israel doesn't just include those who are born as Jewish, but Israel includes, as we see in the New Testament, all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We are grafted in. We are Israel, the scripture will tell us in the New Testament. And so uh, Micah is pointing us forward to the day that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. He is a, an eternal Messiah. That is, he has always been. He's not just being born for the first time, but he is eternal. He has been from antiquities, and we even know where he is coming from. And so Micah chapter 5, verse 2 is a good description of the Old Testament scriptures that are pointing us forward to Jesus Christ and his birth. So we'll make us another little arrow pointing us forward to Jesus. Jesus has come down to us. We see that that's been fulfilled in his birth. And now in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we see us pointing forward to the Messiah who is coming, and he's coming in Bethlehem. And so the people know even where to look for the Messiah at. They know where to look to, they know where to find him, and they know what he's going to be just in these few verses that we've looked at in Isaiah and in Micah. Now, if you want to turn back to Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. We see this uh, being uh, fulfilled for us and in that the people recognized and realized and believed what Micah said was going to be true. And we see that spelled out for us here in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod. Wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born King of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and hath come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So here we have these wise men who came from the east who were coming to see the Messiah because they knew what was taking place. They were obviously aware of the Old Testament prophecies, and they were coming looking for the king, the one that Micah said that God was going to send, who was going to be the ruler over Israel. And here these men come. They come to King Herod, these wise men, and they say, hey, we're looking for the king of Israel. Wait a minute. King Herod was the king of the Jews. So this was a problem for King Herod. He wasn't terribly uh, uh, happy about this news that he had received. Uh, and uh, Herod did not want to see this take place. He tried to put a stop to it. But here we see this prophecy in Micah, that's obviously known by these wise men, they're looking forward to this Messiah. They're coming to see this Messiah, this king of the Jews who is born. Let's read a little further, verse 4. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes and people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. Because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people 
Israel. So we're beginning to see the fulfillment of these prophecies in the Old Testament. The prophecies that said God was coming to us, bam, they have been fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. The prophecies that says, all right, when you go into the future, these are the things that you need to look for. I'm pointing you toward the Messiah. I'm pointing you right toward where he's going to be. He's going to be in Bethlehem. And here we see in these verses, we see the wise men coming exactly to where the Messiah is. They are coming from the east, and they're coming to right to where the Messiah is to find him because they are looking for the Messiah who is in the Scriptures. So we'll add Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6 for us here. And so we start to see a picture as we read through the Old Testament and as we read through the New Testament and the birth of Jesus Christ, we begin to see all of these things beginning to be fulfilled. Every scripture that we see is always pointing to the same place. It's always pointing to Jesus Christ. Everything, everything that we see in the Old Testament is pointing to this point in time where the Messiah is going to come, but that's not the most important thing that's going to take place. Now, Jesus, of course, had to come to fulfill what he had to do. But what we see in Scripture, as we read a little further, is this. In Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, after Jesus has come, after all the prophecies have been fulfilled about the Messiah coming, well, what happens next? Well, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10 Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10, tells us this. Now, it's important that Jesus come, praise the Lord, because he had to come. But what's more important is not just that he came, but that he rose again. Not that just he descended, but he also ascended. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10, the one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, Jesus came, he descended to us, we see that here, we see that described, we see it take place in the birth of Jesus Christ, but it's not important that he just descended, but also that he ascended. Why? Because by ascending, he was able to fulfill all things. He was able to conquer all things. He was able to conquer death. He was able to conquer sin. And so Jesus came to us. But more importantly, after he was uh, died, uh, killed on the cross and God resurrected him, he also went back up to heaven. We'll add Ephesians to our list here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10. Let's read a little further. Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existed, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ came as a man to fulfill what God called him to do. He came as a man to fulfill his death on the cross and his resurrection. And that's really what Christmas is all about. 
Because everything in Scripture points us to Jesus Christ. And when all of the arrows line up, we are left with one thing. We are left with Jesus Christ on the cross and Jesus Christ crucified and Jesus Christ resurrected. Jesus came as a man. He gave his life as a man so that we could be forgiven. He gave his life. He was resurrected by God so that you and I could be forgiven. Now, I've got a confession to make too, Mr. Sidney. As I was studying and thinking about it, I was thinking about, boy, it's Christmas time. I've got to preach a Christmas sermon. But then I got to thinking, what is a Christmas sermon? And then I got to thinking, you know what the Bible never tells us to do? Now, this may blow your mind. Did you know the Bible never tells us to celebrate Christmas? Not once are we commanded to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, nor do we see anybody in the Bible commanded, or do we see them carrying out the celebration of Jesus Christ's birth. Not once are we commanded to do that. You know what we are commanded to do, though? We are commanded to remember Jesus Christ and Christ crucified on the cross. We all remember to gather together and to eat the bread and to drink the wine and to remember His body that was given for us and His blood that was shed for us on the cross until He returns. That is what we are commanded to do. That is Christmas. Christmas is Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. We are not to celebrate Christ's birth. We are to celebrate His life. We are to celebrate His death. We are to celebrate His resurrection. And every single thing in Scripture points to that. You can add line after line of Scripture that comes and points us to Jesus, to this point, where He came, where He died, where He gave His life on the cross. And that is what Christianity is about. That is what Jesus is about. This is what we are to do to remember our Savior who came for us and who gave us life on a cross for us so that we may be forgiven of our sins. And everything in Scripture brings us to this point. From the time that Jesus came, it was bringing us to this point, this point where there was a cross that Jesus was going to go to that He wants you to go to. Jesus wants you to come to the foot of that cross and say, Lord Jesus, I come to you. I accept you. I want you to forgive me of my sins. I accept the sacrifice that was made on my behalf. Everything in God's Word points us to this point in time, to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is God's power to us who are being saved. This is what everything points to. This is what Jesus came for. This is what he died on, and he was resurrected by the, by the Father on the third day so that we may be forgiven of our sins. This is what it all comes down to. Now, we have a choice to make. When we see this cross, when we think about the cross that Jesus Christ died on, we have a choice to make. Is it going to be power to us, or is it going to be foolishness to us? With all the things that we have going on Christmas, with all the things that we have going on every other day of the rest of the year, we need to not let any of those things overshadow the cross of Jesus Christ. Because this is where our power comes from. This is where our hope comes from. This is where our salvation comes from. And to some, this is foolishness. To some, you say, well, boy, you, you drew a stupid little chart, and that's done. Thank you for your time. 
And for some, it's just foolishness. They don't care anything about it. Maybe even some in this room. But to others, this is power. Because you know it. Because you've been to this cross. Because you've knelt on your knees and you've cried for forgiveness. Because you've come to the Lord in your time of need and said, God, I am weak. Give me strength. And you got it because of the cross. You got it because Jesus conquered everything. You got it because Jesus gave his life. You got it because Jesus rose again. This is Christmas. The cross of Jesus Christ, Christ crucified and resurrected. Will it be power to you today or will it be foolishness to you today? That's a choice you have to make. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. I thank you for these words. And God, I thank you for sending your son. I thank you for the life he lived. And I thank you most importantly, God, that he gave his life for us. And dear Lord, I pray that as we read your word, God, I pray that as we study it, I pray that every scripture we see, that we see where it points, dear Lord. It doesn't point to, to us just being good on our own. It doesn't point to what we can do. It doesn't point to our wealth. It doesn't point to our jobs. It doesn't point to any of those things. It's power and salvation for us. God, it only points to one person. It only points to one place. God, everything in your word points to Jesus. And it points us to the cross. And so, God, I pray that we'd be faithful to remember what Jesus did. Just as your word commanded us, dear Lord, this is what we remember. This is what we live for, dear Lord. This is who we serve. We serve you, and God, we do so because we have hope in Jesus Christ. And so, God, I thank you for these words we looked at today, and I pray that you would help us tuck them away in our heart. I pray that, God, not just on Christmas Day or Christmas season, but every day of our life, dear Lord, that we remember what our, what our purpose is, what our goal is, what our call is, dear Lord, and that's to serve you and to live for you. God, I pray that if there's one in this room that has never experienced the power of the cross, that today they would accept you. Dear Lord, today they would come to the cross and they would accept Jesus Christ and follow him and put their faith and trust in him. God, maybe there's some in here and God, they've already, they've already accepted Jesus Christ and they already have faith in him, dear Lord, but they're just, they're just carried away with sins or burdens or worries or thoughts or things of the world, dear Lord, that are just evil and that'll, that'll pull us away from you, God. I pray that if there's anybody struggling with those things today that they would bring them to you that they would repent of those things, dear Lord, that they would seek you for strength, that they would, dear Lord, just, just live for you, that they would turn their eyes to the cross. And God, I just thank you that we can come this morning and have freedom to worship in your house. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.